0: Chapter Seven Part Two of The Sea Its Stirring Story of Adventure, Peril, and Heroism, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Leslie Valencia. The Sea Its Stirring Story of Adventure, Peril, and Heroism, Volume One by Frederick Wimper. Chapter Seven round the world on a man of war continued malta and the suez canal part two to prove our points it will not be necessary to recite the full history of the grandest engineering work of this century a century replete with proud engineering works here it can only be given in the barest outline every intelligent child on looking at the map would ask why the natural route to india was not by the isthmus of suez and why a canal was not made his schoolmaster answered in days gone by that there was a difference in the levels of the mediterranean and the red sea that question has been answered successfully and the difference has not ruined the canal others said that it was impossible to dig a canal through the desert it has been done lord palmerston the most serious opponent in england that lesseps had thought that france our best ally today would have too much influence in egypt events thanks to lord beaconsfield's astute policy by purchasing the khedive's interests have given england the largest share among the shareholders of all nations it would not be interesting to follow all the troubles that lesseps successfully combated the idea had more than once occurred to him when in eighteen fifty two he applied to constantinople the answer was that it in no way concerned the port lesseps returned to his farm at berry and not unlikely constructed miniature suez canals for irrigation thought of camels while he improved the breed of cattle and built houses but not on the sand of the desert Indeed, it was while on the roof of one of his houses, then in course of construction, that the news came to him of the then Pacha of Egypt's death, Mehmet Ali. They had once been on familiar terms. Mehemet Ali was a terribly severe man, and seeing that his son, Said Pacha, a son he loved, was growing fat, he had sent him to climb the masts of ships for two hours a day, to row, and walk round the walls of the city. Poor little fat boy! He used to steal round to Lesseps' rooms, and surreptitiously obtain meals from the servants. Those surreptitious dinners did not greatly hurt the interests of the canal, as we shall see. Mehemet Ali had been a moderate tyrant, to speak advisedly. His son-in-law, Def Derdar, known popularly as the Scourge of God, was his acting vice-regent. The brute once had his groom shod like a horse for having badly shod his charger. A woman of the country one day came before him, complaining of a soldier who had bought milk of her, and had refused to pay for it art thou sure of it asked the tyrant take care they shall tear open thy stomach if no milk is found in that of the soldier they opened the stomach of the soldier milk was found in it the poor woman was saved but although his successor was not everything that could be wished he had a good heart and was not the terrible turk in eighteen fifty four lesseps met sa'id pacha in his tent on a plain between alexandria and lake mariotis a swamp in the desert his highness was in good humour and understood lesseps perfectly A fine Arabian horse had been presented to him by Said Pacha a few days previously. After examining the plans and investigating the subject, the ruler of Egypt said, I accept your plan. We will talk about the means of its execution during the rest of the journey. Consider the matter settled. You may rely on me. He sent immediately for his generals and made them sit down, repeating the previous conversation and inviting them to give their opinion of the proposals of his friend the impromptu councillors were better able to pronounce on equestrian evolutions than on a vast enterprise but lesseps a good horseman had just before cleared a wall with his charger and they seeing how he stood with the viceroy gave their assent by raising their hands to their foreheads the dinner-tray then appeared and with one accord all plunged their spoons into the same bowl which contained some first-class soup lesseps considered it very naturally as the most important negotiation he had ever made Results speak for themselves. In 1854 there was not a fly in that hideous desert. Water, sheep, fowls, and provisions of all kinds had to be carried by the explorers. When at night they opened the coops of fowls, and let the sheep run loose, they did it with confidence. They were sure that next morning, in that desolate place, the animals dare not desert the party. When, says Lesseps, we struck our camp of a morning, if at the moment of departure a hen had lurked behind, pecking at the foot of a tamarisk shrub, Quickly she would jump up on the back of a camel to regain her cage. That desert is now peopled. There are three important towns. Port Said had not existed before. There is now what would be called a city in America on a much smaller basis of truth. It has 12,000 people. Suez, with 15,000 people, was not much more than a village previously. Ismailia, halfway on the route, has 5,000 or 6,000 of population. There are other towns or villages a canal actually affecting a junction between the two seas via the nile was made in the period of the egyptian dynasties it doubtless fulfilled its purpose for the passage of galleys and smaller vessels history hardly tells us when it was rendered useless napoleon i knew the importance of the undertaking and appointed a commission of engineers to report on it monsieur le pair presented him a report on its feasibility and napoleon observed on it it is a grand work and though i cannot execute it now the day may come when the turkish government will glory in accomplishing it other schemes including those of eminent turkish engineers had been proposed it remained to be accomplished in this century the advantages gained by its construction can hardly be enumerated here suffice it to say that a vessel going by the cape of good hope from london to bombay travels nearly six thousand miles over the ocean by the suez canal the distance is three thousand one hundred barely more than half the distance to tell the history of the financial troubles which obstructed the scheme would be tedious to the reader at last there was an international commission appointed which cost the viceroy of egypt twelve thousand pounds and yet no single member took a farthing for his services the names are sufficient to prove with what care it had been selected on the part of england messrs rendall and mclean both eminent engineers with for a sufficiently good reason commander hewitt of the east india company's service who for twenty-seven years had been making surveys in the Red Sea and Indian Ocean. France gave two of her greatest engineers, Messrs. Renaud and Lissoux, Austria, one of the greatest practical engineers in the world, M. de Negrelli, Italy, M. Paliocapa; Germany, the distinguished privy councillor Lense, Holland, the Chevalier Conrad, Spain, M. de Montesino. They reported entirely in favor of the route. A second international congress followed. The viceroy behaved so magnificently to the scientific gentlemen of all nations who composed the commission that Monsieur de Lesseps thanked him publicly for having received them almost as crowned heads. The viceroy answered gracefully, Are they not the crowned heads of science? At last, the financial and political difficulties were overcome. In 1858, an office was opened in Paris, into which money flowed freely. Lesseps tells good-naturedly some little episodes which occurred. An old bald-headed priest entered, doubtless a man who had been formerly a soldier. "'Oh, those English!' said he. "'I am glad to be able to be revenged on them by taking shares in the Suez Canal.' Another said, "'I wish to subscribe for Le Chemin de fer de l'Île de Suède, the island of Sweden Railway.' It was remarked to him that the scheme did not include a railway, and that Sweden is not an island. "'That's all the same to me,' he replied. "'Provided it be against the English, I subscribe.' Lord Palmerston, whose shade must feel uneasy in the neighborhood of the canal, could not have been more prejudiced. At Grenoble, a whole regiment of engineers, naturally men of intelligence and technical knowledge, clubbed together for shares. The matter was not settled by even the free inflow of money. The viceroy had been so much annoyed by the opposition shown to the scheme that it took a good deal of tact on the part of its promoter to make things run smoothly." For the first four years, Lesseps, in making the necessary international and financial arrangements, traveled 30,000 miles per annum. At length the scheme emerged from fog to fact. The Viceroy had promised 20,000 Egyptian laborers, but in 1861 he begged to be let out of his engagement. He had to pay handsomely for the privilege. Although the men were paid higher than they had ever been before, their labor was cheap. It cost double or treble the amount to employ foreigners the canal in its course of a shade over one hundred miles passes through several salt marshes les petits bassins de lac amer in one of which a deposit of salt was found seven miles long by five miles wide it also passes through an extensive piece of water lake Menzale. at lake Menzale, the banks are very slightly above the level of the canal and from the deck of a big steamer there is an unbounded view over a wide expanse of lake and morass studded with islets and at times gay and brilliant with innumerable flocks of rosy pelicans scarlet flamingos and snow-white spoonbills geese ducks and other birds the pelicans may be caught bodily from a boat so clumsy are they in the water without the expenditure of powder and shot indeed the sportsman might do worse than visit the canal where it is almost needless to state the shooting is open to all a traveller who has recently passed through the canal en route to india writes that there are alligators also to be seen The whole of the channel through lake menzale was almost entirely excavated with dredges when it was necessary to remove some surface soil before there was water enough for the dredges to float it was done by the natives of lake menzale a hardy and peculiar race quite at home in digging canals or building embankments the following account shows their mode of proceeding they place themselves in files across the channel the men in the middle of the file have their feet and the lower part of their legs in the water these men lean forward and take in their arms large clods of earth which they have previously dug up below the water with a species of pickaxe called a fass, somewhat resembling a short big hoe the clods are passed from man to man to the bank where other men stand with their backs turned and their arms crossed behind them so as to make a sort of primitive hod as soon as each of these has had enough clods piled on his back he walks off bent almost double to the further side of the bank and there opening his arms lets his load fall through to the ground It is unnecessary to add that this original métier requires the absence of all clothing. Into the channel thus dug, the dredges were floated. One of the machines employed deserves special mention. The long couloir duct was an iron spout two hundred and thirty feet long, five and a half wide, and two deep, by means of which a dredger working in the center of the channel could discharge its contents beyond the bank, assisted by the water which was pumped into it. The work done by these long-spouted dredges has amounted to as much as 120,000 cubic yards piece of soil in a month. By all kinds of ingenious appliances invented for the special needs of the occasion, as much as 2,763,000 cubic yards of excavation were accomplished in a month. Monsieur de Lesseps tells us that, were it placed in the Place Vendôme, it would fill the whole square and rise five times higher than the surrounding houses. It would cover the entire length and breadth of the champs Elysee and reach to the top of the trees on either side. Port Said, which owes its very existence to the canal, is today a port of considerable importance, where some of the finest steamships in the world stop. All the through steamers between Europe and the East, our own grand P and O Peninsular and Oriental line, the splendid French Messagerie, the Austrian Lloyds, and dozens of excellent lines all make a stay here of eight or ten hours. This is long enough for most travellers as, sooth to say, the very land on which it is built had to be made. In other words, it was a tract of swampy desert. It has respectable streets and squares, docks, quays, churches, mosques, and hotels. The outer port is formed by two enormous breakwaters, one of which runs straight out to sea for a distance of 2,726 yards. They have lighthouses upon them, using electricity as a means of illumination messrs borel and Lavalley were the principal contractors for the work the ingenious machinery used cost nearly two and a half million pounds actually two million four hundred thousand pounds and the monthly consumption of coal cost the company forty thousand pounds the distance from port said to suez is one hundred miles the width of the canal where the banks are low is about three hundred and twenty eight feet and in deep cuttings one hundred ninety feet the deep channel is marked with buoys the mole at the Port Said Mediterranean end of the canal stretches out into the sea for over half a mile, near the Damietta branch of the Nile. This helps to form an artificial harbour, and checks the mud deposit which might otherwise choke the entrance. It costs as much as half a million. In the canal there are recesses, shall we call them sidings as on a railway, where vessels can enter and allow others to pass. The scenery, we must confess, is generally monotonous at ismailia however a town has arisen where there are charming gardens we are told that it seems only necessary to pour the waters of the nile on the desert to produce a soil which will grow anything to perfection here the viceroy built a temporary palace and Monsieur de lesseps himself has a chalet at suez itself the scenery is charming from the height on which is placed another of the khedives residences there is a magnificent panorama in view in the foreground is the town harbor roadstead and mouth of the canal to the right are the mountain heights gebel ataka which hem in the red sea to the left are the rosy peaks of mount sinai so familiar to all biblical students as the spot where the great jewish law was given by god to moses and between the two the deep deep blue of the gulf near suez are the so-called wells of moses natural springs of rather brackish water surrounded by tamarisks and date palms which helped to form an oasis, a picnic-ground, in the desert. Dean Stanley has termed the spot the Richmond of Suez. Before leaving the canal on our outward voyage, it will not be out of place to note the inauguration fete, which must have been to Monsieur de Lesseps the proudest day of a useful life. Two weeks before that event, the engineers were, for the moment, baffled by a temporary obstruction, a mass of solid rock in the channel. "'Go!' said the unconquerable projector." and get powder at cairo powder in quantities and then if we can't blow up the rock we'll blow up ourselves that rock was very soon in fragments the spirit and bonhomie of lesseps made everything easy and the greatest difficulties surmountable from the beginning of the work says he there was not a tent-keeper who did not consider himself an agent of civilization this no doubt was the great secret of his grand success the great day arrived On the 16th of November, 1868, there were one hundred and sixty vessels ready to pass the canal. At the last moment that evening it was announced that an Egyptian frigate had run on one of the banks of the canal and was hopelessly stuck there, obstructing the passage. She could not be towed off, and the united efforts of several hundred men on the bank could not at first move her. The viceroy even proposed to blow her up. It was only five minutes before arriving at the site of the accident that an egyptian admiral signalled to lesseps from a little steam launch that the canal was free a procession of one hundred and thirty vessels was formed the steam yacht l'aigle en avant carrying on board the empress of the french the emperor of austria and the viceroy this noble-hearted empress who has been so long exiled in a country she has learned to love told lesseps at ismailia that during the whole journey she had felt as though a circle of fire were round her head fearing that some disaster might mar the day's proceedings her pent-up feelings gave way at last and when success was assured she retired to her cabin where sobs were heard by her devoted friends sobs which did great honor to her true and patriotic heart the viceroy on that occasion entertained six thousand foreigners a large proportion of whom were of the most distinguished kind men of all nationalities came to honour an enlightened ruler and witnessed the opening of a grand engineering work which had been carried through so many opposing difficulties to applaud the man of cool head and active brain who had a few years before been by many jeered at snubbed and thwarted to suitably entertain the vast assemblage the viceroy had engaged five hundred cooks and one thousand servants bringing many of them from marseilles trieste genoa and leghorn although the waters of the canal are usually placid almost sleepily calm they are occasionally lashed up into waves by sudden storms one such which did some damage occurred on december ninth eighteen seventy seven and now before leaving the subject it will be right to mention a few facts of importance the tonnage of vessels passing the canal quadrupled in five years as many as thirty-three vessels have been passing in one day at the same time although this was exceptional In 1874, the relative proportions as regards the nationalities of tonnage, if the expression may be permitted, were as follows. English, 222,000 tons. French, 103,000 tons. Dutch, 84,000 tons. Austrian, 63,000 tons. Italian, 50,000 tons. Spanish, 39,000 tons. German, 28,000 tons. Various, 65,000 tons. The present tonnage passing the canal is much greater. All the world knows how and why England acquired her present interest in the canal, but all the world does not appreciate its value to the full extent. Suez has special claims to the attention of the biblical student, for near it, according to some eighteen miles south of it, the children of Israel passed through the Red Sea. Two million men, women, and children with flocks of cattle went dry-shod through the dividing walls of water. Holy Writ informs us that the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. The effect of wind in both raising large masses of water and in driving them back is well known, while there are narrow parts of the Red Sea which have been forded. In the morning the Egyptians pursued and went in after them to the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. We know the sequel. The waters returned, and covered the Egyptian hosts. There remained not so much as one of them. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown in the sea. Pharaoh's chariots and his host hath he cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank into the bottom as a stone. End of chapter 7, part 2